this morning, and I want to encourage you, as long as your phone is silenced, so we're not distracting, because I know that we use our Bible, our, our phones, I do too, for our Bible apps, and if you want to reference your app in your Bible, we're in Luke chapter 13, and also if you have the actual the Bible uh, in your hands, Luke chapter 13, verses 31 to 35, and uh, again, I appreciate just uh, you taking that to heart and just staying focused and not being distracted and considering others, so praise the Lord. And uh, we're in Luke chapter 13, verses 31 to 35. And I'm going to read the scripture uh, right now. As at, the, at that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and they said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow and on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Look, Your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Listen, I I just want to give you a very brief, brief uh, context and setting for our text this morning. There's so much, actually, as always, but I'll give you a challenge as I did in the first service and I often do. Please, when Pastor Dan or I preach or whenever you hear a message, we often take a text And we do our best, with God's help, to to give you what we feel God wants you to hear for that day, or the message, because there's so much, even within a text, right? But I want to encourage you, especially in this case, when you go home later, or later this afternoon, read the context, read beforehand, read after, and it'll give you even a clearer picture of all that was going on in Jesus' ministry at this point. Right before, in Luke's Gospel, he transitions into really those final times when he's heading toward Jerusalem, for his mission to die on the cross for the sins of the world. So I want to encourage you to do that. Listen, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. Oh, by the way, I have to make another comment because I can't, I can't let this go. And I've, I've said this very often, and I've said it year in and year out. You've heard me, if you, if you remember, if you reflect back, but I might be like a, a, a record that, you know, it skips and it keeps repeating. But every year during this time of year, we, we have something that we don't use the term, but in different, um, you know, streams of, 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 of belief and, you know, within the, the Christian uh, church, people celebrate something called Lent. We, we don't necessarily do that. There's nothing wrong in and of itself, but it really what it's about is that it's a season where we are reflecting and meditating on what Jesus did for us for a certain period of time. We should do that with a lot of things. And we don't do that enough, I think, to really... It's very sobering. And at the same time, it's very uplifting. Because we don't go through this season preparing for Easter with our head down. And we're all like, oh, woe is me. And this is a dark time. Jesus is going to... We know the end of the story, don't we? We're on this side of, of Calvary and the resurrection. And we do it with celebration, but it's a reminder. It's sobering. It reminds us that we are saved. We're called. We're chosen. We're holy. We're supposed to live holy. We live for Him. And we proclaim the fact that Jesus died, but He also rose again. And so, can I just say, some of you, 
Because you can't shake your tradition in the past without Jesus. Maybe it was with Jesus. But you give something up for Lent or this season. You give it up, right? Can I ask you a question just to be honest and frank? Are you going to take it up again after Lent? Can I just ask you in all seriousness, and I'm not, this, don't take this the wrong way, why are you giving it up in the first place then? And if you have, and it's brought you success in your relationship with Jesus, don't go back to it. That's it. Simple. I'm not telling you not to do it, but just think about what you're doing. But we should really reflect on what's happening. I'm sorry, but I, I had to mention that because I mentioned it first service, because Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to, to fulfill his mission. And listen, in, in verse 22, you'll see that in this chapter, but the opposition against Jesus was growing stronger and more vocal, louder, and, and it was more intense. And the com, I'll call them the common people, the everyday folks in general, they heard him and they gladly wanted to hear what he had to say. They gathered, they were listening. But the religious crowd, <laughs> that's always a whole different story. They hated him because he exposed their hypocrisy. And none of us here can relate to that. That's tongue-in-cheek on being... You can respond. It's okay. We can relate to that. And so what Jesus does and what he dealt with, we can all, we've all experienced that. Jesus has come at us, even me, you, because we have been hypocritical. We have thought we were self-righteous. And Jesus says, nope. I'm, I'm, you're coming in opposition to me when you're justifying yourself, right? We've been there. And... and We've had those experiences in our relationship with the Lord, and thank God for His grace and mercy. See, in Jesus' words in our text that we read, I, I don't know, but if you read this over and over again, I know for me, you can feel, you can sense, you can know in your heart that, that the love and the compassion that He had for His people, you can read it and read it again. And that's the, the same kind of love that he has for you today. So I simply say, let's learn just quickly three things about Jesus' love just from this text, not to mention the many others. And there are so many things we can learn about the love of God. See, as I mentioned, I can't get over God's love, and I, I just got to keep going with it. Because in this text I see first, and the first thing I see about Jesus' love is that Jesus' love is fearless. It's a fearless love. See, the Pharisees in our text, they warned Jesus that Herod was out to kill him. And so that he had better, you better bolt. You better get out of town like right away. Get away because Herod's after you. He was no friend of the Pharisees. I'm talking about Jesus. And so this warning was probably a scare tactic. I mean, I'm, again, in a sense, to spook Jesus, to get him away, because he was opposed to what they were trying to do. They didn't want him around. They were, he was disrupting everything they taught and were propagating as righteousness. See, Herod Antipas was a powerful governor who had the authority to execute anyone he desired. And a few months earlier, he had just beheaded John the Baptist at the request of his cunning stepdaughter, who was also his niece. You know what? I think Herod had nightmares that Jesus was actually John come back from the dead. He was concerned. He was worried. Is this a prophet come back? And I'm, this is too much. I, got, I can't handle this. 
And he took care of John the Baptist, that's for sure, at the request of his stepdaughter. Jesus responds by offering a caricature, if I could put it that way, of Herod as a sneaky, cunning, predatory animal. Go tell that fox. Go tell that fox. Now, a fox is a beautiful animal. They're beautiful looking animals. But what's inside and what's in that mind and what's going on? And that, you know how they work if, you, if you've seen them and you've seen documentaries or if you've seen them in person and if you, or if you own chickens or whatever else, other small animals, you're watching out for them because we have fox around here and they're all over. They're beautiful. They really are. But man, inside, they're out to destroy and steal. This kind of sounds like someone else Jesus described in the Bible called and named Satan, right? The enemy of our soul. But Jesus says, go tell that fox. He calls him a fox. And this response reveals Jesus' courage. He's the governor and Jesus' opposition from the Pharisees. They tell him to, 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 to get out because Herod's after you. And he says, go tell that fox. I got work to do. Nothing's going to stop me. I have courage because I'm on a mission. He's a fearless lover, first of God. And way back before the foundations of the world, the Bible tells us there was something going on in eternity past, something going on where the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have this plan. God has this plan, and there's this perfect submission and love and how this will play out because humanity will rebel against God and how this is going to work. And Jesus is here, and he's got this fearless love for his Father, and for his father's plan. And that plan that would mean that people could be saved and reconciled back to his father. It's fearless. He's on a mission. He loves so much this plan and the people, the plan that, it, that involves. He indicates that he's going to keep on doing what he had been doing. And Herod would not slow him down. Not going to happen. He had a job to do, and he had a goal to accomplish. In verse 32, he says at the end of verse 32, look at the phrase at the end, I will reach my goal. I don't care about the fox. I don't care about the Pharisees. I don't care about everything else going on around me. I got God the Father, I got his plan, and I got humanity in front of me that he wants to save. I'm going for it. It was a fearless, courageous love. Being fearless and courageous go hand in hand. And he says, I will reach my goal. And his goal was to redeem sinful mankind. And he knew he would have to die as the sacrificial lamb to provide forgiveness. We all know that. If you're a believer, you know that. Nothing would cause him to detour from that destination of the cross. I wonder what I would do if I knew what was waiting for me. Well, I'm no Jesus. I'm not Jesus and neither are you. But he knew what was coming, and he was still undeterred. Unbelievable, fearless, amazing, awe-inspiring love of Jesus for you and for me. You know, he wasn't afraid of Herod because he knew he already had a date with a death. He had a date with a death, and it wouldn't be at the hands of Herod. And I say that he had a date with a death. Yes, it was death, but it was a death, because death wouldn't keep him. It wouldn't hold him. It wouldn't take him forever. It was a death. It wasn't death itself. That is something, yes, it was to some degree, but it was a date that was just temporary, and he would defeat it, and it was over. And he was on his way, and he was going. Listen, you know what's beautiful about this, too, for us to be reminded of? 
because of what drove him is that Jesus didn't die some martyr's death over which he had no control. That's not how Jesus died. They didn't execute him. He willingly laid down his life. His own life. He laid it down. He makes that clear by what he said in John chapter 10, verses 17 to 18. The reason my Father loves me. Think about that. The reason my Father loves me is that I laid down my life. There's that picture of agape love, the self-sacrificing love. Only to take it up again, he said. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I choose to lay it down. I am willingly laying down my life. You are not taking it. See, in a few days, Jesus was going to carry a literal cross to a hill outside Jerusalem called Calvary, right? Golgotha. He, and, but Jesus was already carrying that cross in his mind and in his heart. It was already there. At the beginning of his ministry, he knew he would die and rise again. He said in John 2, 19, destroy this temple, and in three days, what happens? I will raise it again. I will raise it again. That's why he was a fearless lover. He loved his father, he loved the plan, and he knew that his father would come through. He was faithful. Here's the personal application for each of us today, that we can glean from this fearless love. When I belong to God, I don't have to fear any fox. I'm going to say it again because I don't think you get it. Do you realize what kind of world we live in right now? Are your eyes open or are you just going along? Do you realize Jesus is coming soon? Do you realize how many foxes there are? And yes, I will say it, and I say it unashamedly. They're all, the majority of them are in Washington, D.C. I'm not afraid to say that because I don't fear any foxes. The foxes are all around us. Some of them are not only in government, but they're in our workplace. Some of them are in our own homes. Some of them are in our minds. And the, the greatest one, the enemy, is trying every, of our soul, Satan. He's doing everything he can. But when you belong to Jesus, when you belong to God, you don't have to fear any fox. You, too, can stay on mission till the end because he'll make sure you get there. He won't leave you. He'll empower you. His plan is perfect. He's coming back, and it's going to happen exactly how he planned it. When you're carrying the cross of Jesus, you have already died to yourself. I didn't hear any amens. When you are carrying the cross that Jesus asked us to carry to, in order to follow him and be his, you have already died to self. I can't really amen that because I struggle. <laughs> you know, one of the greatest things I ever heard is that this, this picture of when, when we talk about Christianity and we talk about what it means to follow Jesus, it's a hard road. It's, it's not, this is not some simple thing. I make a decision. I make a profession. I'm all set. I'm all done. You know what? But we, so is what we do. A lot of us do the same thing. We come to Jesus, and he says, take up your cross. And we can even quote. We say, oh, Galatians 2.20. Paul said, I am, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I am crucified with Christ. It's not me. It's him. And then we turn around, and it's, it's me. You know why? 
Because when we came to Jesus, we gave him everything, but then when we gave him everything, we built and brought along with us a cage. You're not supposed to cage yourself or your flesh. It's dead. It's dead. Does it mean it doesn't rear its ugly head? Oh, it rears its ugly head all the time. But you were a sinner saved by God's grace. You are a saint. Yes, you sin. You were a sinner. Now you're a child of God. And if you still have a cage, then maybe you're still a sinner. Like by nature. We have a new nature. And now we don't have to be caged up by that. When you are carrying the cross, you've died to yourself. No, you're not perfect. We're in process. We're being perfected. You can't scare a dead man. Jesus wasn't worried about foxes. He wasn't worried about his enemies and the Pharisees who were trying to deter him from the mission that he had. When you're carrying the cross, it's a liberating experience because you don't have to be afraid of anyone or anything. I'm being serious. I'm for real. Does that mean that, I'm, does that, mean that I don't get afraid or I'm not scared? Oh, I have plenty of fears and I, I get afraid. But I know, and the one who lives in me has overcome every single thing in this world, so I can overcome every fear that I do have. Amen? Amen? When you're carrying the cross, you can face any threat of the future and laugh at it. If I could be honest. You can. It's hard, but you can. That's what Jesus did. He made, he almost kind of made a joke, almost mocking. Herod and his deadly threat. What are you afraid of today? Are you afraid of death? Are you afraid of financial ruin, disease? Are you afraid of... You fill in the blank. When you truly belong to God, there is nothing in this life that can rob you of your joy and your promise of eternal life. Some people go through this life whining and complaining and moaning and groaning that life isn't fair. I do that. You do that. I mean, it's some sun level, right? Hey, listen, this life really isn't fair. But this life isn't all that there is. <laughs> oh, man. Thank God. Seriously. I can repeat that a thousand times. Jesus' love is fearless. Secondly, Jesus' love is protective. It's protective love. Jesus compared Herod. Listen carefully. Jesus compared Herod and death to a fox. And he compared himself to a mother hen. Right in our text. Look at verse 34. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. Can you hear the depth of passion and heartache in that cry? See, there are many pictures in the Bible that describe God's nature and his character. You can probably think of some of them. God's character, and it's, listen, he's a rock He's the door, he's a shepherd, he's the light, and on and on and on, just to, for time's sake, I have like, you can list a million of them, there are many others. God's character is so multifaceted that none of these images fully communicate the richness of God's nature and how wonderful he is. Each of those gives just a small insight into how he wants to relate to us. Now, I have to admit, most of you know, I don't have chickens. I've never raised chickens. Some of you do. So you know a lot more than I do. I won't pretend like I'm a chicken expert, all right? But we can learn something about God by understanding a mother hen, of course. 
See, the first thing is that we learn is that a, a hen constantly calls her chicks. It's a tender, persistent call. Sometimes it's furious for their protection, right? For their good. But it's a constant call to those chicks. Have you ever been into a place where there are, there's a hen or multiple hens and there are chicks all over and they're running around and you hear all these peeping and clucking and all. And I, and I just think when you hear them clucking, sometimes I'm like, they like to hear themselves. They're clucking and going on. They, they talk to each other. They're cluck, cluck, cluck. You know, they're doing their thing. See, a hen has a distinctive cluck and clucks constantly so her chicks can find her. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of March of the Penguins, the documentary. And you've got hundreds of thousands of penguins all over the place. On the shores there of the ice and the rock. And they're freezing cold. And they come back and somehow they find each other. Like who they belong to. Because they know their voice. And they're constantly calling. And it's this amazing thing where God is constantly, tenderly, persistently, sometimes loudly even calling out to his own, but to people, to humanity. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Boy, that's just one way that he phrases it. But there's a constant call that Jesus has to you, even if you're a child of God, but if you're not a child of God, to you as well. It's constant and ongoing. If we are wise, we're going to recognize and we're going to respond to the call of Jesus. See, really, Jesus' trip to Jerusalem reflects who God is and what he has done through history. God has come to people. He's seeking them. He's searching for them over and over again. God has called human beings to himself, wanting them to be within the saving embrace of his love and mercy. And it goes on and on and on that call. See, God's call to humanity, it has been so loud and clear for so long, and God has been doing it ever since He created man and woman. Over and over. He's made that call through the wonder of creation itself, the natural world, which calls out, the psalm says, declaring the glory of God. And God is saying, look, I made you. You're amazing. You're beautiful. I want you. Come to me. It points to him. He calls through that creation. He also, that call has constantly been being made through the conscience of men. We have a conscience. And the point here is, is that there is universal knowledge that there is right and wrong. Now, I'm not going to argue about the degree we can get of, of your rightness and wrongness and your knowledge of it. I'm not going to get philosophical and get all crazy and weird. We can have discussions in other places. But it is a universal truth that every single human being has a concept and an awareness that there is right and wrong on some level. It points to God who set everything in motion, who put his law forth out. There's only one rule in the beginning, and it was broken. And then, of course, there were other, others that were set up to create boundaries for our protection, but we couldn't keep them. And then Jesus, God said, i got to send Jesus. But God has created us so that we know right and wrong that there's also eternity. And, of course, ultimately, just there are other reasons, but ultimately God has been calling people to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Over and over again. In the beginning of Hebrews, we know what it says. That God spoke to us in different ways, but in his last times, he has spoken to us through his son who? Jesus Christ. His son Christ. You got creation. 
you got our conscience and you got Christ. Of course, you got the word of God that's been given to us. It's calling out and people have been calling, calling because there's a commission that we're, we're making an appeal, a call on God's behalf. Come unto me. Come to God. And it was God's pattern, God's way of doing this over and over and over again. God, over and over in, in history, in the experience of God's people, He's seeking and searching them out. I'm just... I'm, I'm making sure I don't misspeak when I say this because he made a covenant with them and I'm talking about the Jewish people. He, he, he was calling them to keep their side of the bargain, the deal, if you will. Right? And, and promised to be with them always. God would come to them through the words of prophets and the worship of the holy temple and he had a, a way for them to do that. God would enter their lives through the teaching of the Torah, right? The books of the law. And through their living. And Jesus was continuing this pattern of God coming, seeking and searching. And he was doing it powerfully in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you. How I long, how I long. And you can make that connection to where we are. Oh man, Richmond, Richmond, how I long to gather you. Rhode Island, Rhode Island, how I long to gather you. Can't you hear it? I know it's for Jerusalem, but it's much bigger than that. It's much bigger than that, even in the context, because of His mission. And He calls, and He calls tenderly and persistently and yet urgently that we would find safety in Him. Call out. He's calling out to you. Listen, when He calls out to you, it's because He wants you to feed on Him. He wants you to be nourished, but more than anything, He wants you to be safe from harm. I'm amazed at just how protective a hen is of her chicks. Any mother bird. I, I've had some incidences where I'm doing something in the yard and I get too close to a nest I did not know existed there and all of a sudden I got a bird coming at my head. I'm not afraid because I can probably swat it away, but I don't know what if it gets me. It's protective. It will defend the nest. It will, it will defend the young. And even before they're born, it will defend the eggs. We could learn a lesson from the birds about defending the unborn in our culture, in our world too. If a hawk flies down and, it's, and it makes that noise that's like piercing, fearful noise for the chicken and it starts to swoop down, that mother hen calls frantically, spreads her wings, get under here! Because the hawk knows the mother hen's too big. One, in most cases. And that there's protection on those wings. They can't get at those little vulnerable chicks. And so that's why that call is made there. Get under my wings. Get, get there. Find protection. And I love what Psalm 91, 1 and verse 4 says. We all know it so well. The Bible says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. When the wings are spread, man, that shadow gets big, doesn't it? That shadow gets big. And he says in verse 4, He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. Of course, God doesn't really have feathers. He isn't a chicken with literal wings, thank God. If He was, He couldn't say, tell that fox I'm doing my thing. The point is, God wants us to shelter under His wings and find protection there. See, and that leads to a personal application right now. Here it is that we can learn about this protective love that Jesus has for His people. The only safe place for your soul in the entire universe is under God's protective love. 
There is no other safe place. There's no safe place. And Jesus, and I'll tell you why I know that, because Jesus weeps, he laments that the Jews didn't seek shelter under his love. Are you hiding under the wings of God's love? Under the wings of God himself, Jesus' outstretched arms, are you hiding there, protected? Smart chicks stay close to the mother hen because there's a lot of danger in the chicken yard. Some of you have wandered away from the protection and the love of God. I didn't say you weren't, you weren't God's. I said you've wandered away from His protection. God still loves you. He's still calling out. He might even be frantically calling out. It might be silently. And you hear Him in the, in the back of the recesses of your mind, in your ears. You hear them. You hear His call, but you're out there. And, and you're just refusing to stay under His care. That doesn't mean you can make God stop loving you, as I said. And there's nothing you can do to make yourself any more or less lovable with God. But we have the story in Luke 15 of the prodigal son, as we call him. Really, it's a prodigal God. But we have the, the wayward son who leaves his father's blessing. And I'm not going to rehearse the whole story. But listen, he comes back. And you know what happens when he finally comes to terms with the fact that I have no protection and I have no blessing outside of the shadow of my father's wings. So why are you outside the zone of protection? Why have you gone there? How's it going for you? God's calling. Cluck, 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 cluck. I can't even do it. He's calling out to you and saying, come under my wings. Come back home. There's no protection where you are. There's no blessing where you are. It's all here. You're still mine. I'm calling out to you. You can come back to him. And get back in the center of his love. And finally, we see in verse 34, five of the saddest words in the universe. See, God's love is fearless, it's protective, but there's something else about Jesus' love here that you have to note. And, And we'll finish shortly, trust me. Five of the saddest words in the universe, I think. Jesus said, I have longed to gather you, but you were not willing. I'm not here to argue, and I've said this before. You could do it wherever you want, and I don't think it's going to determine your eternal future. But you can argue, well, if you're not willing, what about God's foreknowledge, one saved, always saved, predestination, this, my, my free will. Just forget all that for now. Okay, just forget all that. We can get into that and dive in that. Once you get to know Jesus, he can reveal himself to you. Look in the scriptures. Forget about that now. But Jesus says, you are not willing You made a choice to get out of there or not even come near. You didn't want to come there. You were not willing. I kept calling and calling and calling. See, Jesus' love is so strong, but listen, this is the last thing. Jesus' love can be rejected. Jesus' love can be rejected. He died for your sins. That's how strong and fearless His love was for you. That's how protective He wants to be of you. There is a heaven and a hell. And if a person lives their entire life rejecting Jesus and His love, they will spend eternity in hell. But I just have to think. I just have to think. And I got to thinking and I wrote this down. I wonder, I wonder if Jesus will say, To every person that goes to hell, 
I wanted to protect you and shelter you like a hen protects her chicks. But you were unwilling. I wonder. I don't know. I'm not saying he will, but I wonder. See, Jesus was sent primarily to redeem Israel. So I could understand how his heart was just ripped and broken because his Jewish brothers and sisters rejected him. John 11 says that he came to that which was his own and his own did not receive him. Can I just say his own rejected him? Jesus also says something in this passage that has prophetic implications. In verse 35, Jesus says about Israel, You will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See, God isn't finished with the nation of Israel. He's not finished with you either, by the way. Don't you think it's strange that this nation called Israel that was reborn in 1948, that is really just a little bit larger than New Jersey in the United States in in area, and has a population that is actually a little bit less than London, England. Don't you think it's strange that it's in the news so much? Whether you hear about it or not, it's a player in the dynamics of everything that's going on in our world. Why do you think that? Isn't that strange? It's because Israel will play an important role in the end times. And basically, when Israel rejected Jesus, it was as if they were blinded to the truth about Jesus. And to this day, most Israelites are blind to the truth about who Jesus is. We are now living, as we say in the church, in the, in the age of grace where God's message of salvation is being offered to Gentiles. Paul writes in Romans 11.25, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles excuse me, has come in. The word hardening means that they have put scales over their eyes so they cannot see and recognize Jesus. One day, that will change. It will change. On that day, Jesus returns at the Battle of Armageddon, and He's going to stand on the Mount of Olives. Perhaps, I don't know, at the very spot where He wept over Jerusalem and said, I wanted to gather you, and you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't come. You weren't willing. And at that moment, an amazing thing will happen. The scales will fall off the eyes of the Jews and so many of them will see Jesus and recognize Him and they will cry out to Him and weep because they, they had Him killed. Oh, He gave Himself up, but they went with it and they wanted Him crucified. See, this is prophesied in Zechariah. I don't want to just go blow by this. Zechariah chapter 12, it's prophesied. God says, I will pour out on the house of David. Now listen to these words. Man, it breaks my heart. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. I mean, he wrote this 500 years before crucifixion was even practiced. And it says, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. And if someone asks him, what are these wounds in your hands? He will answer, the wounds I have given at the house of my friend. And it's, you got to read that. I feel like I can go on an hour tangent on just that. I won't. But hallelujah, one day, Israel is going to accept their Messiah. They're going to do that. And here's the important personal application before we walk out this door. The result of rejecting Jesus and His love 
is desolation. It's desolation. In verse 35, Jesus says, Your house is left unto you desolate. When he said house, he was speaking of both the beautiful temple that sat like a crown jewel on top of Jerusalem, as well as their national heritage. Residents of Jerusalem proudly called themselves the house of David. You may be familiar with that. Jesus was saying their family background, as well as their beautiful temple, would become desolate. No one there, nothing there. And about 40 years later, after Jesus said this, the Roman general Titus, he totally destroyed Jerusalem. He tore down that temple. All because why? They rejected God's offer of love. And the proud nation of Israel went out of existence until 1948. And you know what? The Temple Mount is still desolate for the Jews today. That isn't just true for Israel. Any person who rejects God's love will also experience the same results, spiritual desolation. When I think of the word desolate, I imagine a dry, barren desert where there's no shade and there's no water. I've known people, and perhaps you do too, and maybe you're one of them because I have been too, who are experiencing spiritual desolation. There are no springs of living water bubbling up in their personalities, their character, their lives, their attitudes. Nothing. There's no fruit. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no righteousness. There's only barrenness and desolation. Are you there? Are you there? The most amazing thing Jesus said in this passage is that you have the power to choose. The last four words in verse 34 are some of the most powerful words in the universe as well. He says to us, I will love you, I will shelter you like a mother hen protects her chicks if you are willing. You have the power to choose. When you choose to change the direction of your life, that's called repentance. Have you ever repented of your sins and trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and received His love? Today, Jesus simply invites you. He's been calling and He calls again to run under His wings of safety and warmth and protection. Some of you are Christians who've left the circle of His love. He never stopped loving you, but you have vacated that zone of blessing. You have. You're missing out. And He cries for you. He doesn't want you to miss out. Will you move back into a position of obedience so that He can bless you? Others of you need to simply accept His love and salvation for the first time. Will you do that today? Why wait? What are you waiting for? How is it working out for you? Don't reject His words to you. Where He says, How I long to gather you to Myself so I can fearlessly love you all the while protecting you to the end. Are you willing? Come to Him today. He doesn't want you to, and I don't want you to be the one that He says, but you were unwilling. Don't be that person. God loves you too much, 
And he's calling and will call until you come under his wings when you come to the cross. And ask him to take away your sins and govern your life. Don't wait. He loves you too much. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word. Lord, as we approach our celebration, that Resurrection Sunday in a few weeks, our hearts and our minds are focused on what you did for us. And that your love is so fearless. Nothing stopped you and nothing will stop you from coming after us and calling out to us over and over again. And that your love is so protective. You died, you rose again, you conquered death and hell. You're the sovereign, you're the almighty God, all powerful. Nothing can conquer you or defeat you. And when we're under your wings, we are safe. God, I pray today that none of us would be those who reject you and your love. Help us to embrace that and understand that it's so blessed when we're under the shadow of your almighty wings. Lord, touch our hearts today. Help us to carry this truth and this message to all those around us as we live in your love. In Jesus' name I ask and pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Live in the love of Jesus. Amen.